Let me give uh, a report, start big as I usually do, move small. Um, our culture is uh, not uh, any longer, as I said to someone last night, uh, slouching toward Gomorrah. As Robert Bork said a number of years ago, uh, we're now rushing uh, into uh, Gomorrah, into Sodom and Gomorrah. And um, that's reality. Uh, it gives the uh, church the opportunity to respond appropriately, and it allows the gospel light to shine brighter against the darkness of sin. Uh, and evil and wickedness and so on. So uh, it's here. Uh, I strongly suspect uh, that uh, the Supreme Court will make same-sex marriage the law of the land uh, this summer. I have no reason to think that they will uh, turn back. I would pray that they would. I am praying that they would. I've signed off myself, as has Southeastern, uh, on a number of briefs that have gone before the Supreme Court. Uh, but we need to be praying and be prepared to respond uh, accordingly. Accordingly. Let me commend a book to you all. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I came across this book. It's probably, in terms of its conciseness uh, and clarity, uh, conviction, I like those for all those C's, and compassion, uh, the best book I've read on the issue of homosexuality. It's by Kevin DeYoung, entitled, What Does the Bible Really Teach About Homosexuality? Uh, hands down, it's the best thing I've read. Uh, and I would commend it uh, to all of you. It's easy to read. He has a wonderful writing style. Uh, he is faithful to the scriptures. He's a wealth, uh, uh, he's a very capable thinker theologically. Uh, and he also deals with how do we approach this uh, in terms of our church, in terms of our families, in terms of just life. So Kevin DeYoung, uh, what does the Bible really teach about homosexuality? Uh, I would strongly commend that book to you. Uh, in that same context, let me say that I think we're being led wonderfully well uh, by Russell Moore, who is now the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. Uh, I think he is doing a stellar job. I would encourage you to pray for him. Uh, as you can imagine, in that position, uh, he receives a lot of criticism, and he receives even threats. And um, he is a father of five. Uh, five little boys, and uh, he and Maria are dear friends to Charlotte and to me, but I would encourage you to keep him in your prayers. I think he's doing a, a great job, but again, it's a job with a lot of pressure, and uh, when you are before uh, millions on uh, various media outlets and avenues, you know, one little slip-up can cost you tremendously, and so we need to pray that when God gives him these venues, that uh, he gives him wisdom gives him clarity and gives him, you know, as it says uh, in the Gospel of John, that when we're brought before the magistrates and the rulers, that the Spirit of God will give us just the right thing to say. Uh, I know that's in the context of the Gospel, but I think we could also pray that God would give him just uh, the right thing to say uh, as well as he stands in those various venues. Uh, also, uh, as all of you I'm sure are aware now, David Platt is the new president of the International Mission Board. Uh, words are not adequate to express my delight uh, and joy in that. Uh, I think he is, uh, without any question, God's man for this time, and uh, he has already hit the ground running and running uh, very fast and, and very quickly. Um, 
he needs our prayers. Uh, the International Mission Board, uh, of course, in many ways drives so much of what Southern Baptists do. And yet, uh, when I was uh, involved in the Great Commission Resurgence back in 2009, we had about 5,600 missionaries on the field. Uh, today, we're down to about 4,800. Uh, and it looks like we will continue to go down at least for the next several years because of funding. But at the same time, David is going to bring a completely different mindset, uh, perspective to uh, how the International Mission Board partners with and serves well the Southern Baptist Convention and its 45,000 churches. And I know this, uh, he has a goal not to get it back up to 5,500. He has a goal that we would actually be sending out 100,000 missionaries. You say that's not possible. Anything's possible with our God. I don't ever say that, but I do think it will require a radical paradigm shift, and I think the time for that uh, is now. Uh, will it be painful for many? Yes. Uh, will it be disconcerting for many of us? Perhaps. But uh, I do think he is a, a young man that has God's hand upon him. Uh, I believe in him. Uh, I trust him, and uh, I've said to him, whatever direction you wish to lead, uh, the International Mission Board, uh, I'm in your corner. I got your back. And uh, I'm very encouraged, very, very encouraged at what I think the future holds for uh, that particular entity. Uh, Ronnie Floyd is leading us as president of our convention. Uh, he has a lot of passion, a lot of energy, a lot of ideas. One of the things that's driving him is a call to prayer for great awakening in America. I don't think any of us in this room would deny that that is a, a great need, and uh, that will be very much the theme of our annual meeting this year that is taking place in Columbus, Ohio. And so I would ask you to pray for him, and even now, uh, begin to pray that God indeed might answer the passion and the heart of uh, Dr. Floyd, and that uh, a great awakening, we certainly desperately need that, uh, would indeed take place here uh, in, in our country and in uh, North America. So those are kind of the things that are going on kind of on a large scale. Let me stop for a moment. Anybody have a question about anything uh, related to any of those issues? All right, let me move then to talk about a couple of personal things and then talk very quickly about the school. Uh, in the last three months, uh, I've had two books come out that I'll just make you aware of. They're very inexpensive, by the way. And by the way, uh, unless you are, you know, like John MacArthur or David Jeremiah or Chuck Swindoll or someone on that scale, uh, people say, well, you write all those books. Doesn't that make a lot of money for you? No. All the money I get annually from all the books I've done uh, would not feed one of my children when they were small, but we write books because we enjoy it, plus we hope it serves the body of Christ. So uh, the Christ-Centered Exposition series continues to do very well. This was my contribution to the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs. In fact, the two books that are up here are the two closest things in my life to my heart. One is uh, the Song of Songs, which makes me think of Charlotte, and the other is a book called Christmas. Christology, the study of Christ, which of course deals with the, the life uh, and the ministry and the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So this just came out uh, just in the last month, and this came out right around February. So just a couple of things that uh, I was able to get out this particular year. Uh, our family's doing wonderful. 
Charlotte and I celebrate 37 years of marriage next month. Uh, all of our sons, most of you know we have four of them, uh, are doing great. Nathan continues as an elder here uh, at Imago Day Church in Raleigh and also works part-time here with us in our quit program. Uh, still not married. We're still praying for that. Uh, Jonathan uh, continues to pastor in Lebanon, Tennessee, and also teaches adjunctively for Southeastern Seminary, Southern Seminary, and I think even another place. They now have two little girls and a boy. Paul, our uh, middle son, uh, three little girls and a boy, has been a missions pastor for the last four years at the church at Brook Hills, where David Platt uh, has been pastor. Well, in January, he left Brook Hills and has now gone with David to the International Mission Board as special advisor and assistant to the president of the International Mission Board. So Paul and Carrie and their four children uh, put a contract on a house last week. Uh, they'll close their house at the end of May, and then just a few days later, they will be moving uh, to Richmond, Virginia, where they will be located as he continues to serve alongside of David uh, at the IMB. He also, by the way, just about a month ago, passed his comprehensive exams for the PhD in international missions here at Southeastern. So he is now what is known as ABD, all but dissertation. And uh, I mean, he's doing nothing else. I don't know why he can't knock that thing out in about six months. Uh, not counting on that, but uh, he is um, he is moving ahead in that program. And then our youngest son, Tim, uh, had their fourth little boy born in December. So we are now up to 11 grandchildren by God's good grace, six boys and five girls. And uh, he is serving as a teaching pastor still at the First Baptist Church of West Palm Beach, Florida. Really nice place to go visit during the horrific winter months that now seem to be visiting North Carolina on a regular basis. And he's actually flying in here today to take the entrance exams for the Ph.D. in systematic theology. So if he graduates this um, summer, passes this exam tomorrow, then he's going to enter into our Ph.D. program in theology in, um, in the fall. So all of them are doing well. Their children are doing well. And uh, God is being extremely kind uh, and, and gracious to us uh, in every possible way. And we're just thanking him so very much for that. I hope that you don't get bored with uh, annual or biannual positive reports because God continues to be unbelievably kind and unbelievably gracious to Southeastern uh, in these days. This afternoon, uh, I'll share with our trustees some good information along these lines. First of all, we have already passed last year's record enrollment and we still have through July the 31st for our enrollment numbers uh, for this uh, coming year. Uh, Mr. Hutchison says we can expect to probably end up somewhere between 3,000 and 370 students and maybe even past the 3,400 mark. And uh, so this last year we were at 3,218. So we've already passed that. And uh, God has just been very, very kind to us. Now, let me in that context, though, give you something to pray about. Uh, of course, I always uh, encourage you to pray for our finances. But again, God's been very good. We have already, as of this moment, raised this year in our annual giving, which is monies that you all and others give that goes just straight to the budget, which is the best kind of giving because then we get to put it where 
we think it needs to go. I know you probably know better than we do, but sometimes we know of certain places that we need monies to go. We've already raised this year $960,000, so we're only forty thousand dollars from breaking for the first time in our history uh, the one million dollar mark and uh, perhaps some of you would feel moved to give and help us do that before the meeting's over someone last night said to me after hearing dr quarles speak my goodness after hearing one of your faculty talk like he did uh, i'm motivated to give more money I will not discourage that one whit from any one of you. And so uh, God has been very, very kind, and we know we're going to pass the $1 million mark this year. But uh, Ryan also shared with me that even though our enrollment has grown uh, substantially uh, over the last decade, it now takes 805 more students to teach the same number of hours that we were teaching in 2007. You say, why? Because so many of our students, in fact, this is not unique to us. There has been a trend now for over a decade with students taking less and less and less and less and less and less hours. And uh, there are lots of reasons why. And part of, of course, we know is uh, the fact that doing online work, which we now do, online students always take less hours than on-campus students. And so that's one reason that that is taking place. Of course, we went through a horrific downturn in terms of uh, our economy uh, just before 2010 and even looping into 2011, 12, and so on. So a lot of folks reduced their loads, and they haven't picked back up on that. Uh, another is uh, we are a product of our theology. We're very committed uh, as an evangelical school to the family, and we're very committed, if at all possible, to mothers staying at home with their children. Well, when you have a stay-at-home mom with a bunch of kids, that means the male student here is carrying quite a weight. Uh, both in terms of job demands, uh, financial demands, and so as a result of that, uh, very few, very, very, very few of our students that do the three-year MDiv, 90 hours, uh, graduate in three years. Uh, most graduate in four, four and a half, and it's not uncommon for them to be here as long as five years to complete their three-year uh, master's degree. In fact, I was at a church yesterday where a graduate of Georgia Tech a very sharp individual shared with the church that he took the three-year MDiv and crammed it into six and a half. And uh, that's just not uncommon. And so uh, we recognize we've grown substantially in terms of our student enrollment, but students are taking less hours. 805 more students to accomplish what we were doing in terms of total hours being taught in 2007. So that's something you can pray for us as well. And we're trying to find ways to encourage encourage our students to increase their uh, workload without them becoming uh, unduly um, overburdened. So that's the good news that uh, is taking place both in our giving, also taking place in terms of our enrollment. Uh, the cooperative program continues to have an uptick, not massively, but it's moving back up as opposed to moving back down. And again, that provides about 35 to 40 percent of our annual budget. And so when your churches are faithful 
thoughtful and generous in giving to the cooperative program. Uh, they're not only taking the gospel around the world and across North America, but they're also helping us uh, in terms of theological education as well. So those are some good things that are taking place, but also some things that I would encourage you to pray for us and to lift up before the Lord that we would be able to, uh, again, accomplish all the many good things that we're trying to accomplish here uh, for his glory. In terms of mission work, God continues to just uh, expand what we're doing here. I met just, uh, is Henry Williamson in here? He is not. I met with him just a few minutes ago about a possibility of partnering with Calvary Baptist Church with a seminary in Kenya. Uh, We have been in a 10-year partnership with a seminary in Uganda. Uh, We've just recently invited to enter into a partnership with seminary in Zambia. We're already in one seminary in Zambia and also in Tanzania. And I think this will bless you, and I'll bring my report to a close here. Just about a month ago, a little over a month ago, John Ewart, and Scott Hildreth, who oversees our missions program, and I went to Uganda, and uh, we were in Uganda to minister among and work with uh, the South Sudan Baptist Convention. You say, well, why were the South Sudan Baptist Convention meeting in Uganda? Because it's safer. It's a lot safer. In fact, uh, I could spend the rest of the morning telling you stories that would just humble you and grieve you uh, and break your heart when you consider what so many are suffering uh, in those parts of the world. But uh, we came together in uh, Uganda to talk about how we could move forward in the days ahead to assist them and help them in uh, theological education because the South Sudanese are passionate about planting churches, and they're also passionate about theological education, which again, is amazing when you consider the unsettled nature of all that's going on over there. For example, uh, I was sitting out one day talking to a group of pastors. There were about 10 of them. And uh, I asked them where their churches were. And they all said, well, right now they're in a refugee camp. And I said, well, so explain that to me. Well, our churches were burned. Every one of them, their church facility had been burned. And during the Civil War fighting that continues to pop up um, uh, sporadically but continually throughout uh, Sudan had forced them to leave where they live. And in almost every case, they have been in refugee camps for more than a year, all of which are populated four times what they are set up to accommodate. And so they said, we just move the church where the people are, which, of course, is a reminder that even over here, we don't need buildings. And buildings are not churches. They're church buildings, but they are not churches. I often say, and I will stand steadfast on this, um, whatever you can do under three mango trees for the glory of God in terms of a local church probably constitutes all that is necessary for a New Testament church. We don't need air conditioning, and I like air conditioning. Like, I like it a lot, okay? Just want to be clear there. But we don't need buildings. We just simply need to be the body of Christ where we are. And so they're the body of Christ in these refugee camps. So we had a great time talking with them and looking at how we might begin on the very baseline level of providing theological education for them in the days ahead. And let me just say this, and I do stop. Anything we're able to do, you're going to fund. Anything we do, you're going to fund. You say, why? But they have no money. These are farmers. 
Uh, these are people that uh, have no money. In fact, uh, I was kind of embarrassed, even though I carried my one pull bag. I didn't take a big monster suitcase. I took one I could put over the top of uh, the uh, airplane. But everyone that I saw that had come for that meeting were simply carrying on their back a backpack. And I can assure you that virtually everything they own is in that backpack. And so does that motivate me to want to give more? It sure does. And does it motivate me to want to go and help those that are passionate for the gospel but less fortunate than us in terms of what they have? You better believe it. And so when you give, uh, you're helping us go to Kenya and Uganda and the Sudan and India. And I can keep going for a long, long time. And so let me bring my report to an end by simply saying thank you. You really are making an eternal difference around the world by what you're doing in helping us here at Southeastern Seminary. Dr. Rainer? We're going to pray for students. How long do we have to pray? Ten minutes. All right. One of the things we had said on our agenda today, and I didn't know if you wanted me to lead or not, I think that you do, and I'm glad to, uh, is to pray for our students, but in particular uh, to pray for the students that are uh, already on the field, uh, that when we were there in um, Chiang Mai uh, with the Reeds, I guess we had over 25 children. I've never seen so many kids come to a modular and about 25 students. And that's just in that particular part of the world. We have well over a couple of hundred students overseas right now that are still students at Southeastern. And that doesn't count the now, I believe, over 400 graduates that are serving within the IMB structure today. So again, uh, Southeastern's thumbprint and your thumbprint uh, is scattered literally all over the world. So let's do it this way. Let's begin, first of all, with just a few moments of silent prayer. Uh, you may uh, have God call to your mind some particular family or a particular individual that you know. If not, you can pray for the whole lot. God uh, knows how to disperse our prayers. And uh, after we prayed silently for a couple of minutes, and I know uh, some of us are not really good at lengthy silence. I happen to fall in that camp. Uh, but that's okay. We will then afterwards, uh, I will pray for all of those that are serving our Lord, both here, uh, but also around the world. So would you bow your head with me and let's enter into a time of prayer. Father, I want to come before you now as a group of brothers and sisters and lead us uh, together in a time of prayer for our school and for our students and for the nations. So, Lord, first of all, let me just begin by praising you for your grace and goodness to Southeastern Seminary and the fact that you have chosen to set your favor upon us. We do not deserve it. And please never let us become prideful or arrogant about it. But may we always walk humbly in gratitude and thanksgiving for all the many good things you're doing. Lord, we really do aspire to be a great commissioned seminary. And not just in name, but in reality. And we want to be a part of what you're doing in taking the gospel to the underserved places in North America and to the underserved and unreached places around the world. And Lord, I thank you so much that just to my right are more than a dozen of our students that are being prepared and making preparation to go. 
And so for just a moment, I want us to take some time just to pray specifically for these that are here with us in this room today. And Heavenly Father, I do pray that wherever it is that you send them, that they will be fully aware of our prayers and our support. But even more than that, they would have a constant conscious awareness of the presence of your spirit. And that they would know that already in advance of their going, you have prepared the place where they will be. And that, Lord, there are no surprises with our God. Though they may have them, they can trust that you have none. And as they encounter both joys and trials, uh, that you indeed will use each and every moment and each and every event and each and every experience to conform them more to the image of your son and to use them as a bright light in a dark land that people might indeed both hear and see the glory of Jesus Christ through the faithfulness of proclaiming your gospel. And now, Lord, I want to pray specifically for the continent of Africa. Lord, so much good is happening there, and yet at the same time, false teachers throughout that continent are sowing seeds of heresy and false teaching. Right alongside the gospel is the false teaching of prosperity theology that is deceiving so many. Lord, many are being converted, but Lord, this, the continent of Africa is desperately in need of disciple makers. And Lord, I thank you that you've given us the privilege of being a part of uh, partnering with seminaries throughout that continent. But Lord, there needs to be more. And so I would pray right now, Lord, that you would bless those that are there serving. And Lord, I would also pray that in your sovereign providence and in your righteous judgment, you would bring to a screeching halt the evils of Boko Haram and others like that that are nothing but bloodthirsty murderers. And I would pray that you would wield the righteous sword that comes from God and that you would bring their evil to a halt. Lord, I do pray for the individual conversion of each and every one of those men that are doing these things. But at the same time, I would also pray that you would show yourself strong in righteousness and justice and bring the evil that they are perpetuating to an end. And Lord, I would add to that what is taking place with ISIS there in parts of North Africa and then in the Middle East. Again, as we shared last night, this weekend, we became aware of the fact that 28 Ethiopian Christians were put to death, either shot or beheaded, simply because they were followers of the crucified Lord Jesus Christ. And I thank you that they died with the promise that to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. And we claim that promise. And yet, Lord, we also recognize that behind, left behind, are families and friends that are heartbroken and sorrowful. And we would ask, dear Lord, that you would bring comfort into their lives. And again, Lord, I would plead that you would bring to a halt uh, the evil that is ISIS. And that you would stop the bloodthirsty murders that are taking place as a result of what they are trying to do.
Lord, I also want to pray for the regions of North Africa and the Middle East. I want to pray for Central Asia. It's a very hard and difficult places because Islam is so deeply embedded into the culture. Many are radical, but others are nominal. But nevertheless, they are resistant and hardened to the proclamation of the gospel. But Lord, your word is strong. It is a hammer. And it can break through any barrier. And I would pray, Lord, that we would continue to be faithful to sow the seed, knowing that your word has promised us that the gospel will not go void, but it will always return a, a, a fruit. It will always return a harvest. And we believe that and we claim that. And I would pray that you would do that. And then, Lord, I pray for um, the Pacific Rim, Asia, Southeast Asia. Where again, like Africa and even in South America, many glorious things are happening. More people are coming to Christ in those regions than at any time in the history of the world. And so I would pray that the harvest would continue and those that face opposition and persecution would be strengthened. And Lord, I also pray that you would raise up those that can disciple new believers. Again, they're so susceptible to false teaching. And I'm thankful that you give us here at Southeastern the chance uh, and the opportunity to be a part of doing something about that in these places in the world. But then, Lord, I also pray uh, finally this morning for Europe, for Canada, and for the U.S., the Western world that seems to be Romans 1 on steroids we have turned away from you where once the gospel light was so bright and today in secularism and humanism gross immorality we know we, we our moral compass has been shattered and i don't think many of us here today would have ever thought we would be looking at the things that we are seeing today even 10 years ago much less 20 or 30 years ago and, Lord, the fact of the matter is, without repentance and revival, we will face your just judgment, your righteous judgment. And we should never deceive ourselves into thinking that uh, the United States is a privileged country. Uh, empires come and go. It is our great God and his word that abides forever. And so, Lord, I would pray for repentance for Europe. I would pray for repentance for Canada. I would pray for repentance in America. And I would pray along with our president, uh, Dr. Floyd, that there might indeed be great spiritual awakening in the Western world and in particular in our nation. We desperately, desperately need it. And, Lord, I suspect that we are where we are today because your church failed to be the church. We allowed the world to seduce us into looking at things as it looks at things and allowing ourselves to compromise where we should have never compromised. And here we are in desperate need of a move of our great God. But that's a good place to be in a place where we are in a desperate need for a great moving of our God. So, Lord, we would ask that you would do that, not because we deserve it. We don't. But because in mercy and grace and kindness you choose to do it. Lord, you allowed Nineveh to continue at least for another almost century 
when your hand of judgment was ready to wipe that entire empire out. Lord, may you show us that kind of grace and mercy and forgiveness, for we are in desperate need of it. We pray this all then, the saving and the strong name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.